thank you for listening to Paper Cut Podcast, bringing you evocative interviews with local creatives every week from hometown heroes to hidden gems. Brought to you by the West End Cultural Center, the best place to see live music in Winnipeg for over 30 years. Welcome to Paper Cut Podcast and our quick cut series. My name is Jared Goche. I'm Olivia Michaelcheck, and we're here with Laura Brand. Please tell us a bit about all your new projects since we talked to you last. Yeah, so um, I've been working on uh, Festival du Arrau. That takes up like six months of my time. So doing that. And uh, I guess, yeah, since the last time, I've been diving headfirst into beadwork. And it takes up about the other six months of my life plus now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's taken a lot of changes, which is good. You, so uh, t- you're like a part-time artist. Yeah. Calling myself an artist still seems strange, but, um, it is appropriate. And yeah, I guess I'm making art. Um, it feels stranger when it's wearable art, but yeah, it's art. Why wow. does it feel strange when it's wearable? I don't know. I think it's always like the commerce versus art kind of thing. Whereas um, I'm I'm making things to sell them for people to wear, and like I don't do gallery shows. I want to. It's in my my goals for the year, and I mean everything is weird now. So, um, but it maybe it's my perception, um, but. It, it seems different when it's not like, it's not fine art, it's wearable stuff that people are just kind of taking with them. Sure, right. so when did this start, the bead working? And then when did it get to the point where you started doing it like essentially professionally if you're getting paid for it and it's a part-time job, so. Yeah, yeah. And That's so, very quick, uh, you became a professional artist. I, I don't know, I, I'm just gonna keep on saying that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I so working with Festival de Boisard, um I don't know if we talked about it before but I'm Métis and I um, am, I was lucky during Festival de Boisard, there's one really incredible bead worker that works for Festival de Boisard. there's also a whole host of interpreters and uh, people who host workshops during the festival who are really really amazing bead workers and so uh, I was always curious. I mean, I, I growing up, I knew I was Métis from sort of little hints and uh, my grandma mentioning it here and there, giving me like a doll that was Indigenous for Christmas and things like that, but it was never explicitly talked about. I didn't really grow up in culture. And so I was kind of looking for ways to practice culture or, or kind of find a community and uh, was really curious about beadwork. I've always liked kind of like working with my hands and uh, repairing garments and doing things like that. So um, I was, I learned two needle beadwork from somebody who's works works at Festival de Voyageur, and then got some feedback from this woman Janine Crouchy, who is like people call her the mother of. Uh, Métis beadwork in Manitoba. She did the like massive octopus bag it's called in the CMHR. Okay. 30 feet tall. It's huge. It's crazy. Um, And she gave me some really nice feedback and was really encouraging and gave me some tips. And so I just kept practicing and then I posted it on Instagram and then people are like, oh, I want this too. Can you make me this? Can you make me this? 
And then it just turned into a small business. Wow. And yeah. And now I have like a list of orders that I'm working on and that is always growing and I'm working on a website right now. So trying to get that all off the ground and sort of legitimize the whole thing a bit. So I, I've never personally known anyone who's really been into beadwork. What are some of the challenges that come with uh, getting into that medium? Yeah. Um, at first for me, uh, I wanted to work on like really modern stuff and like I beaded the Raptors logo and Bart Simpson and um, didn't spend a whole lot of time working on the traditional stuff. And I think that was, that was a challenge for me to kind of force myself to go back to traditional and really learn the basics. The um, woman that works at Festival de Guajab, Monique, she was like, you need to slow down and learn the basics and then, then go on to the other stuff. So that's been one. Uh, also, um, just knowing how to, talk to people about it of course it's a it's a cultural practice and that comes with um it's, it's forced me to be a lot more open about my journey as a white presenting indigenous person and um and how beadwork has sort of like tied into culture so i think it's it's given me a responsibility to talk about culture which is nice um also a challenge because that's that's hard when i'm coming from a place of learning like i i'm through beadwork learning about more Métis culture. I, I'm through beadwork circles, I'm connecting with more indigenous folks than ever. And um, kind of navigating that has been a challenge, but also a blessing because like, I don't think I would have ever had that other than, I, I work with Manitowabi Festival and all that of course, but um, on a personal level, not just a pro professional level. Wow. So you said a beading circle? Yes. What is that? They're the best. Uh, it's essentially where people get together. Like there's one at, or they're not happening right now, which is sad, but necessary. And there's one at the Manitoba Métis Federation that happens. So people just come together and they hang out, eat some food. Um, the first one I went to was the Christmas one. Sorry. And uh, we all had a meal and did beadwork work together and asked questions and they'll like give me patterns for things that I've been wanting to try. Um, there's also, there's a lot of them actually. There's the- so That was gonna be my next question. Is there like an archive of patterns or where do you get inspiration for those things? Or is there uh, a lot of things available? Yeah, so I'm also really lucky that I have access to Festival de Guajar's information because they, um, have access to a lot of museum collections. Uh, I got to go to the Manitoba Museum and see all of their stuff that's not displayed that you have to like wear gloves to touch. And um, Manik, she, she uh, is the manager of the history education section of Festival. And she has drawn out a lot of the patterns. So- Oh, wow. Yeah, so, and then made them into PDFs and, and kept them in a file that I had access to. So got some of those. Um, it, there's also, yeah, so those beadwork circles where people, I was like, oh, I wanna try an octopus bag. So an octopus bag is, um, it's a bag and it's got eight, four on each side, kind of like longer pieces. 
um, super traditional, very common in Métis beadwork. And so she gave me a pattern for that. Um, also just Instagram. There's so much beadwork on Instagram and it's such a huge community there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a shortage of inspiration or things to try and ideas to kind of come from that and work into your own ideas. Seems like the I community is of, huge. Yeah. That's wild. What? I'm sorry. I was just uh, saying that it, the community seems like very close knit. Like it seems very like yeah. a strong community. It's growing, which is really nice. There's been um, some people see it in a positive light. Some people see it in a negative light, but um, a lot of young people like myself, um, doing beadwork and taking this traditional craft that my mom didn't do, my grandmother didn't do, but her aunts and mother, and they were doing the traditional craft that got lost through generations of shit. And, and so kind of picking that back up and, and teaching it and learning it and talking about it and, um, making work that people can wear in non-Indigenous spaces. And uh, yeah, so it is a huge community. I've made so many friends, whether it's like just Instagram friends that I talk to who live in Toronto or even California, or like I've made a friend, Bronwyn, Bronwyn Butterfield, who's an amazing beadworker. Um, we're friends now because of beadwork. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I've tried uh, beadworking. I went to one time at a um, like cross country, cross cultural beading group at Mala, yeah. and some of the traditional yeah. um, like Ukrainian beading is like flat lying, uh, like long straps with sort of like a medallion sort of thing in the middle. And holy yeah. smokes, it takes forever. And if you make a mistake. You have to undo it. Like if you do one wrong bead in a line of like 20, you got to undo that line and then put all those beads back on. So what are like, so someone wants to start beading, like what are your lessons for them about like patience and dexterity and like all of those things, like before someone's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I want to start beading. Like what are some of your tips or, um, things to be cautious of or things to be really excited about? Yeah. Um, I think one of my main tip, if you're doing two needle beadwork, so, um, it's here, I have a couple things here. So the difference between, so this is like applique stitch beadwork. So this is beading onto fabric. This is actually a pop socket, but, um, it's beaded onto fabric. That's two needle. So, um, my main thing with this, I mean, I could give tips forever, but just starting out, number one tip is to not crowd your beadwork. So um, not putting too many beads. If you're trying to squish a bead in there, it's going to warp everything. So just take it out and leave that little bit of space because it'll look cleaner and it'll look more cohesive. Um, That's one with this stuff that's like the penny long things. my uh number one tip is to not just like count the number of beads but to line like try and line them up so sometimes like especially on the ends here you need to have one more bead than in these just because of the way that they warp on the corners um 
but a lot of this is just trial and error and and there's like i i've learned a lot of things along the way of just being like oh shit that didn't work and needing to try something else um so just do it a lot like if you're watching tv do some bead work and if if you want to just sit down listen to paper cut podcast oh Oh, hey that sounds like a great podcast so just do it do it kind of it how long did it take you to do that big bart simpson gift uh was that two needle then yeah so that was a mix of two needle and one needle so two needle and one needle are both um the applique beading so onto fabric um but you use two needle for one and one needle for the other. Uh, and that was a mix of one needle and two needle. And that took me over 60 hours. Like, I don't really know. It, I stopped counting after a while. Um, luckily, my boyfriend left for Vancouver a week before, the week before I was giving it to him. So I was just going to ask that, like, how did you fit in all those hours <laughs> and him not know you were doing it? But that's perfect timing. <laughs> Like, oh yeah, I'm doing beadwork and telling him I was working on something else when I was really working on that. And then him going to Vancouver and me being like, okay, now I can do nothing but this. I remember the night before he came back, I was at my parents' house and my mom was bringing me food and like massaging my shoulders and I was like, <laughs> 2 a.m. Uh, yeah, it took so much time. And at, at the time, that was the biggest thing I had ever attempted to do. Uh, so I'm sure if I did it now, it would take me less time, but it took so long, but so worth it. Yeah. Yeah. How long he was, he must've been surprised too, right? <laughs> yeah. He loves it. Fantastic. We look at it all the time. Awesome. Uh, so is your mom interested in learning how to do it in the future or yeah. is she just a support for you now, a massager and feeder? <laughs> yeah. No, she is learning. Uh, my mom and I took... Uh, it, there's three classes left, but they've been postponed. So we took a workshop at the Musée de Saint Boniface and learned how to make moccasins. And through that, she also learned how to do beadwork. Um, she's not as patient as I am, um, and and it's like very meticulous work. And uh, so she's getting the hang of it. She is slowly working. Like I've finished my moccasins; they're on my feet right now. Um, but she's still working on the beadwork and that's fine. But yeah, it's, um, it's been nice to see this kind of reverse generational learning. My mom, um, did like me, like didn't grow up in culture. She, I'm lucky that I speak French. Uh, my grandma, whose first language was French, came to Winnipeg speaking exclusively French, never taught my mom how to speak French. Um, but then we had guests come into the class and, Janine Crouchy, who I mentioned before, she was talking about her upbringing and talking about jigging. And my mom looked over and she was like, oh, I remember like Papa jigging in his little apartment. And uh, it was kind of like laughing and giggling about it. And it was nice to see those memories come back uh, and her kind of like sit in them for a little bit and be able to kind of do the beadwork and we're talking about it and be around other Métis Indigenous folks and uh, and sort of repatriate. A lot of people talk about repatriation through craft, especially um, with Indigenous folks and 
that's happened with me. Absolutely. It's slowly happening with my mom. It's, um, happening with other people who I talk to on Instagram who are like, Oh yeah, like I'm AT, but I'm white looking. I, I don't know. Is it my place to wear beadwork? Can I do beadwork? Can I talk about it? Can I, um, and so having those conversations is really nice. I, I, I wish my grandma could see the beadwork that I'm doing now. Cause I think she would love it. She passed away years ago, but, um, I like to think she would be really proud. Oh, of course. Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just quickly, I just want to talk a little bit about your position at Festival and how that is going for you. Because last time we talked to you, you were working at the Forks. Yeah. Um, so Festival, it's a contract. So um, every year it's longer, though. It went from a month and a half to three months to six months. And who knows what it'll be next year. But for Festival, I do marketing communications. So very much like all of the other things we were talking about, about social media, website, branding, all of that stuff. Um, but for this, this festival. And so uh, this year was actually the year I was the most proud of just because of the amount of Indigenous content that we had and the amount of people who were involved who were Indigenous. We hired um, you know, Robin. And yeah, we interviewed Robin. Robin. Oops. Yeah. Uh, and you guys interviewed Jordan, yeah. who did branding and is continuing to do branding for us. Um, yeah, it was very nice to see. We had like powwows almost every single day with Powwow, powwow 101. So it was an educational piece and um, having francophone people or just anybody else interact with Indigenous culture and um, make something like do birch bark with biting or um any other traditional indigenous craft and um it's been nice to see it transition into uh, a francophone and indigenous culture festival because it, it surround like it's focused about the fur trade right so and the fur trade was not just these white dudes bossing everyone around and trading furs and it was very much, especially in Manitoba before the RCMP came over, um, it was very much a, a kinship between indigenous and settlers uh, making it work and all living their lives and just helping each other out. Then it got messy when the RCMP came and, and colonialism and commerce and all that stuff. But So festival yeah. is kind of sort of dialing it back to the original yeah, exactly. Relationship. Yeah, yeah. So I have to yes. Say, sorry. Yes, it it does. the The fur trade happened because of colonialism, but it's not celebrating. It's sort of celebrating the pre-Confederate era in Manitoba. So, um, yeah, we're we're celebrating that kinship and the partnership between the folks who came here and the folks who were here. Uh, and not just, it's not just a white Franklin. I have to say the, it was evident the indigenous focus this year and it was fantastic. One of my favorite moments was we, we actually spoke with Wayne Stranger, uh, Jordan's father. And after talking with Jordan about how he was so proud of what he had done and how it was so culturally significant for him and then to talk to his dad and basically have him just echo how proud he was of, of Jordan. I thought that was really really a sweet moment and, and what a way to connect the community to, you know, this festival that, like you said, this is what it was about. So I thought that was yeah, awesome. And now 
Wayne uh, did a snow sculpture in Penguins for when they had the hometown hockey up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw. Right. He's uh, continuing to do it, which is amazing. Yeah, That's there awesome. were a lot of really proud moments. And uh, Jordan, I'm happy to call him a friend now just because we've worked together so much. He was amazing and did so many interviews for me. So that communication is part of Festival's Voyageur and me giving the voice to Indigenous people and just letting Indigenous people talk about what they're doing at the festival and not just have our executive director or, I mean, that happens sometimes because not everyone's available all the time, but um, yeah, one of my favorite moments was Jordan was doing an interview with CBC and it was this longer piece and every year there's a piece of coverage that's my favorite and that's the one and it was a lengthier piece about Jordan uh, talking about the word mark and and what like how he designed it and what it meant to him and uh he was i he wasn't talk i wasn't on camera but he was talking to me just so he had a sight line when they were filming him and so he's talking about how much all this meant to him and i'm just like my tears are oh no <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just like oh yeah yes i love this yeah uh, yeah, so it was uh, it was a really good year, and 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 that won't change. And I'm so lucky that all of this happened after Festival de Lourdes. Yeah, that would have completely, yeah, holy smokes. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Timing. That would have been a lot of like positive work and reworking and switching everything up, and that would have really sucked. <laughs> right. So before we wrap this up, I've got one more question, Liv. Yep. I don't know if you have one. No, nope, go for it. Um, so you were talking about your, your goals for this year and obviously things, uh, there's a wrench that have been, kind of been tossed into the plans, but what are some of your goals for beadwork for uh, beadwork and beyond actually for 2020? Yeah. So, um, one of them was to do a market and just actually interact with people. Um, and who knows when that'll happen. I mean, might have to table that one for this year, but we'll see. Uh, another one was to develop a website and uh, uh, like a branding and everything, which is all in the works right now. I'm, I've met so many people through Beadwork and a client of mine owns a web development company. And right now they have a program where they, uh, they're developing websites for indigenous makers. So she's developing a website for me and it's, really amazing and it's been nice to get to know her too so that one's happening um uh part of the website will also be creating a blog so i wanted a space to kind of talk about um for example like i think a, a question actually i get a lot is uh can non-indigenous people wear indigenous beadwork the answer is yes um but there and that's a conversation and i want to have a space to talk about that so talking about those kinds of things and, and teaching people, um, also doing workshops. So that's a big part of it. Um, that one is also tabled because we can't get together in public sport at all. And so uh, I've taken a few workshops now and um, I feel like I know what I want to do in a workshop. I want it to not only be instructional, but educational and um, for non-Indigenous folks to engage in an Indigenous craft and kind of have conversations and learn along the way. So it's not just come here, make a thing and walk away. Um, 
but yeah, very much being like having them more, uh, more well-versed or more educated when they leave than when they come into the workshop. So that's a, that's a big one. And I'm, I'm still working on that. Um, uh, some of my goals I've already done is I wanted to do leather work or like figure out how to construct something. And so I made the moccasins and that was a really fun experience and I'll continue to do that kind of stuff. I'm just cut out a pattern to make my partner or my boyfriend one a pair. So that'll happen. I wanted to do something with my, with my mom. So that's already done or we'll still have a few classes, but yeah, I think the overarching one is to transition it not only into like a like buying and selling stuff, but actually educating people and having conversations. Sounds That's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Laura, for sitting down thank with us you, today. Laura. Really appreciate it. And, and thank, thank you, for you for cutting, cutting deep, deep with, with us on Paper, Paper Cut, Cut Podcast. Podcast. Thanks. Thanks. That was the best one yet.